Welcome to the Student Social Work Hub podcast. I'm Fee, a final year social work student, and I'm joined by Christine, also a final year social work student. This series will be exploring our placement experiences, how we're feeling, what we're learning, and lots of reflections along the way. We hope to invite some of you to join us also. We'd love to chat about your experiences too. We've never recorded a podcast before, so this is a massive learning experience, and we are really excited to get started. Hello, welcome to episode five. Feels like I've not spoken to you for ages. How's it going? Yeah, really good. I don't know why it feels like it's been ages, but I know what you mean. It hasn't been any longer, I don't think. But yeah, I, I guess maybe it just feels like so much goes on in between the times that we talk now. So every couple of weeks, I think as the placement progresses, you tend to get more and more work. Yeah, definitely. And then it just feels like so much time's passed when you've done so much, I think, definitely. Yeah. But I'm always thinking about as I'm as I'm working on placement, I'm thinking about things that are going to be really good to talk about on the podcast. And then as it rolls around, <laughs> the little incidents always get forgotten about. I should really learn to write them down, I think. Yes. I, do you know what? I've done the same. Like as soon as we finish recording, I'm like, gosh, I sh- why did I not speak about that one thing that I was thinking about? <laughs> I think if we tried to talk about everything we'd be here all day (laughs) did you um have an observation lined up recently or have you yeah so I that was my second observation that I've done we do three observations for our portfolio my practice educator actually leaves at the end of my placement so we're sort of not rushing through them but just making sure they're done before she goes on her amp training my second one I don't know if I spoke about the first one did I yeah I remember we both because we'd both done one and then both had another one lined up okay brilliant so my second one was to talk about one case in particular in a professionals meeting and there was 11 of us there it was quite daunting most of the people that were there are staff within the ward that I'm working on but I guess because I've only been there a couple of months, it still feels quite daunting. I think for me, I always think about how valuable what I'm going to say is. My self-esteem is not very good and I think I need to learn. Part of the feedback from my practice educator was, you know, to be confident that what you have to say is important for the meeting. So it it didn't go amazingly, but I do know that public speaking is not my strong sport so it wasn't a surprise to me to know that I didn't do that well it just yeah it just gives us something to work on yeah and I think it it is so daunting and I suppose you only get better at it the more you do it so you, you everybody's got that initial sort of getting used to it and I think it's so interesting what you're saying because mine was quite similar in the sense that my second observation was a multidisciplinary team meeting so different in the sense that I didn't know anybody I was chairing a meeting with loads of different services about this one gentleman and afterwards my practice educator she said it went well in terms of I spoke confidently but she said that I could have my feedback was to challenge more and to get more out of professionals when they don't say things or you know challenge them with what they're saying and I was so similar to you in the sense that I just didn't feel confident in what I was thinking. So afterwards I could say, well, I wonder, you know, I wonder why the police said that or 
I don't think I didn't agree with the police afterwards to my practice educator, but I didn't trust my judgment or trust my opinion enough to say it there and then. Purely about like that confidence in what you're saying as a professional, I think. But I don't think we'll ever get that until we've done that quite a lot. My practice educator said similar, it will just come with experience. And I think part of it is knowing how to phrase something. So you were saying about challenging somebody or the challenging the police on what they're saying. It's not so much like, well, that's not right, challenging mm-hmm. them. Not like that. More like saying, oh, I wonder if this means this rather than this. I think yeah. knowing how to say something without being antagonizing. I think I always worry that I come across as quite blunt and so I hold back sometimes of not saying something because I'm worried that what I'm going to say is going to upset somebody and I really just I think I need to get over that. I, I, I guess being blunt is probably quite a good characteristic to have because sometimes things just need saying. Yeah definitely I think mine's kind of the opposite where I'm just not very good at the bluntness. <laughs> So I'll Mm. think ahead and I just won't say it until afterwards where I'll think about it to somebody else. But it is, I've heard professionals before doing that, normally social workers doing that, you know, I'm wondering if someone has thought about this or can I just ask, do you mean this or what do you mean by that? And ask it in such a really careful way, sort of pull that information from people. And it is such a skill. And I know I've observed some other social workers in meetings similar and you can, I can hear what they're doing, but having the confidence to do that and the skill to do it, I think it is quite a skill. And like you say, it's do you come across blunt or do you not say it at all? And it's a real balance. And then adding on to the fact that you're talking to professionals and just looking at all these names and thinking, who am I? Like, what am I doing here? And just sort of got a bit of like, I shouldn't have been there. I wasn't professional enough. And it just sort of, it's really scary, I think talking to all these professionals but I think all professionals feel like that in meetings however long I think you're right about it being a skill as well knowing how to say things and that whole I wonder if like I hear that used quite a lot it's I feel like as a social worker you're learning like a whole new language learning how to ask things and the best way to go about it I found that the placement where I am I wasn't sure whether it was quite a therapeutic way that they were working because they use that a lot like a lot they're always saying oh I wonder if or maybe it's this like there's never this is how it is or that's how it is it's always wondering and thinking about or maybe it's I wasn't sure whether that was just the therapeutic setting that I'm in or whether that is just the way language is becoming when we're working with people I don't know yeah I think it's definitely the social workers I've heard do that mm. and I don't that's sort of the value of social work or even the role of social work so in this multi-agency meeting I felt like the role of social work was quite key in it and everybody was looking to the social worker to bring everything together which scarily was me in this situation I don't know what it is about the role of social work, but every professional was saying, and what what social work are going to do? And what social care are going to do? And looking to me every single time. And I think I didn't do it, but I have seen social workers then sort of deflect that back to the professional, but in that way of saying, rather than the the social worker saying, 
well, I think you should be doing this. It's, I wonder if this service would be able to do this. Or I was actually speaking to my mum. She's a social worker and I was talking about this to her and she says a lot of the time she'll say things like, forgive me for being ignorant or sorry if this is simple to you, but can you just explain to me like this scenario or can you just explain to me this, are you able to do this as a service? I'm not quite sure. And she like plays it back to them to remind them of the things that they could be doing. And it's it's so interesting. It's like an art, a psychological art. <laughs> but it does seem to be the social workers doing it all the time. Like, you know, I can't, I don't know if that's because of the role where they're sort of pulling the services together in quite a lot of situations, or it is just the way of social workers. I don't know. But yeah, I'm not quite, not quite there yet. I think it will take a while. And I think it is just experience. I can't believe you chaired that meeting. I could not even imagine my direct observation was 11 people and I wasn't chairing it I was expected to say quite a bit and I don't think that I said enough so my practice educator had to step in quite a few times and and say what I hadn't said a couple of other people that were chairing it and they were more like part of the therapeutic team it's quite hard where I am on placement knowing the balance between social and medical because you're I know you're saying Everybody looks to the social worker to have the answers in your setting. I don't find that that is the case where I am. But then there's only one social worker in the whole place. Like there's a, there's a lot of staff there and there's only one social worker. So I guess that's quite hard, but it's never expected that the social worker has all the answers. I don't actually even feel like anybody, the consultant who case holds all the 12 uh, young people there on the ward even she'll say I don't have the answers I find that's quite refreshing because nobody's expected to have all the answers it would be odd if someone did presume that they had all the answers that's just not it's not good practice is it to think that you know everything yeah definitely and I think that was I sort of put that pressure on myself before this meeting so the gentleman that we were having this meeting for he was presenting as a risk in the community which is why the police and fire service were involved and then he had they were querying if he had dementia which is why health was involved and then the reason I was involved was because um the risk he was posing in the community was brought forward as a safeguarding concern to adult social care so I was going to this meeting and I was saying to my practice educator like well what am I going to say to them like at the end when we got to this risk action plan she just says, you're not working in isolation. And she must have said that to me like 10 times before the meeting. And I think I put that pressure on myself as if I was chairing the meeting. Everybody was giving me the information and I felt like I had to give the answer. And actually, the meeting worked really well. And everybody was like just bouncing off each other ideas on what we could all do. And I definitely put more pressure on myself to feel like I had to give everybody answers. When actually the purpose of this multidisciplinary meeting was to work together and I don't know where whether that was just a bit of pressure on myself feeling like because I was chairing maybe I had to have to had to have the answers or maybe because a lot of people were originally asking me for those answers but I definitely felt quite a bit of pressure and there was a definite difference between health and social care so like yours is so different because you're working in a health setting so health is just constant whereas with us it's quite challenging actually I think it'd be interesting to see if you were in the community how you found that coming from your setting I know that where I am is quite um and my practice educator always says it's quite niche and 
I guess that is true. It's not a typical social work role. There's only one social worker in the whole ward. It's not really what you would imagine social work to do. However, I do feel it's social work that people want to do. There's a lot of direct work with people on the ward and there's a lot of working together with other teams. And I and I do find that I'm learning quite a lot and having that experience. Whereas I think if you're in a local authority team, I felt like in my last placement, it was quite rushed and you're swept off your feet all the time. There's always something to do. I do have time to just take a breath and it's quite a reflective placement, not just for me, but I mean, for everything that goes on within the ward, there's group supervision three times a week. And that's, I think that's quite a lot, but the staff are all on shift. So I guess maybe it's not. I've got my personal supervision and then there's a lot of reflection in the multidisciplinary team meetings and the ward rounds. And, you know, they'll often talk about things like how a patient makes you feel like you need to do better or. Yeah, that's, that is spot on, I think, for what the difference I've found this year in local authority because that, you know, that reflection is such a good opportunity, I think, to do constantly and get in sort of a routine of that way of thinking because me and my practice educator, so she's a new practice educator. She's doing her, I'm her first student, she's doing her course alongside, but she's a team manager and we had a supervision last week and we sort of, I think she'd spoke to some of her practice educators and we both reflected on the fact that we've probably not reflected enough So she's kind of gone down the supervision line of management supervision because that's what she's used to. And for me, I felt like I needed, like you say, there's so much work coming in and so much work going out in local authority. All I could think about was whether I was doing the right thing with my cases. So we did a lot of like reassurance on what the process I was doing with my cases and there was no reflecting on how it made me feel or theories or just just that deeper reflection until I got a case that I felt like I had to speak to my practice educator about because it was a bit close to home and I thought if something comes up I don't want to have not said anything so it sort of forced us to reflect and then reflect on the fact that we hadn't reflected but actually I'm past midway now and it's taken us half a placement to realise and I think that's because it's just not it's not naturally done in local authorities well the team I'm in because people are so busy and Covid doesn't help because you haven't got that five minute reflection in the office or in the car, you know, when you're to and from home visits. So yeah, I've literally, it's very difficult. And I didn't realise uh, not how little I've done because I do a lot of reflecting on my own of an evening or with my journal, but how much I'd reflected in isolation, probably because I'm working so much in isolation. So I'm going to raise it. My practice educator's on leave at the moment, but I'm definitely going to raise it and see if like as a team, like you say, I might say about doing group supervision or something once a week because then everybody else must be feeling the same. I found that we do it, yeah, in the group supervision. But going back to the direct observation, we we had a little session straight afterwards, and and I found that I used that to reflect on my own. I don't know if you have the same because obviously universities are different, but we are supposed to write like a pre-direct observation. I don't know what it's not an essay but it'll, it'll have like prompts like what have you done to prepare and and what do you plan to do and what learning are you going to take from this and and then the practice educator will write something afterwards and then you have to respond to what they've written so that's quite reflective as well but also 
in the little session straight after the direct observation, I found that I used that for reflecting on how I thought I did before she fed back how she thought I did. Not that I needed her to tell me that I did terribly. Not she didn't say I did terribly, but I I felt like I didn't do very well. Yeah, so as as is pretty similar to what you've said. We do like a plan kind of thing. Practice educator reflects and then we reflect. But what again, last year I was really good at it. Again, maybe because I was in the office, did the observation. My first observation drove home with my practice educator. So we chatted about it in the car. And the same again for every observation, I had a bit of time afterwards. Whereas this year, my first observation was in a prison. And then as soon as that assessment was done, we were still in the prison and went on to the next one. So there was no time to be together on our own to talk. And then my second one was on on virtual, virtual meeting. So again, we had a little chat afterwards. But yeah, it just didn't feel the same. So I've not actually done my reflection for this one. And I'm waiting on my practice educator to give me my feedback. So it's felt really disjointed. And again, like you say, I had not even thought about it. But last year I did exactly the same. We'd had that chat afterwards and then I went straight into write my reflection. It's just not the same this year. It's really tricky. So do you know what your final direct observation is going to be? Well, my practice educator would like to see me do something in person because the one in the prison was a colleague because we have to have another professional observe one and then our practice educator observe two so my first one was another social worker she was the principal social worker and then my practice educators obviously observed this virtual meeting so she'd like to see me in person with a service user however we're sort of waiting on lockdown and what's going to come in so we've not planned it yet but we've said if we haven't got anything planned by mid-December we'll just get something in but we're sort of waiting for something to come up Um, but I'm less worried because I I finish at the end of January so if I've got something booked in around Christmas time or just after we've definitely got time I think if you booked your next one in I'm on placement till the end of March but my practice educator goes on her amp training February and March so we've we're kind of trying to get it done at a similar time to you actually so by the end of January, we want to do the next and last one. So my first one was with a parent of one of the young people on the ward doing a home visit. And then the second one was a professionals meeting. And the third one was going to be with one of the young people. But I feel really confident <laughs> speaking to the young people on the ward. And actually, I spend a lot of time and, and my practice educators actually see me on the ward spending time with the young people. And she said that I seem really natural. So because I did quite poorly on the professionals meeting we're going to do another one doing something like public speaking of some sort but we've not yet decided on what that's going to be she sent me this <laughs> horrible task so in the mornings every morning at 9 30 they have a, a safety briefing and all the staff that are on shift at that time so there can be anywhere between like 15 and 20 people in one place and you have to talk in front of all the people and you update on what's happened in the last 24 hours what's happening on the ward in the next 24 hours and it's just like it's 10 to 20 minutes of talking in front of all these people so I'm just kind of like oh my god but that's that's not going to be my direct observation that's just a task she's set me to do before the end of my placement she did say how would you feel doing it and I was like well I'm not going to volunteer doing it but if you make me do it I will do it she was like oh do it then (laughs) I set myself up for that one I'm afraid it'd be a great thing to have done once you've done it and it's the time to like try those things I had less scary 
but I had the same. My practice educator didn't even ask, actually. She was like, so you're going to chair the next team meeting? I was like, okay. <laughs> she she just, she was like, look, these are the things and PCF9, obviously. She was like, I'll just chair, you know, just chair the next one. It'll be fine. I was like, okay. And I feel less confident doing that with, the, with colleagues that I work with all the time. I don't know why, than professionals that I have never really worked with. I find it a bit more nerve-wracking. Well, I, I was just going to say, I wonder if it's because we know our team and we care about what they think and yeah. they're probably seeing us day in and day out, whereas professionals from one case, we might not see them that often, so we're probably not keeping them in mind as much as we might keep our team in mind. Definitely. And I think it's a daft thing to be anxious about because, well, in my case, definitely because the team is so supportive. So even if I just lost all my wording and couldn't chair this meeting, they literally would just be like, it's okay. And they'd be absolutely fine. But yeah, I think it is because you care what they think. And I don't know, we've worked together now for nine weeks, I think I'm on, which is crazy. Yeah. And they feel like a te- the team and you don't want to let them down for the meeting and so it does seem, when she said it at first, I was like, oh, that's fine. I'll just chair the meeting. And now I'm getting close to the time that I need to chair it. It's definitely made me feel a bit more anxious. But like you, it's not a direct observation. It's just just like a task. And she's also asked, um, not quite decided what to do, but she's also asked me to do, we do CPD training once a month, continuous professional development. And a member of the team does a topic that, so the last one we did was, a member of the team had a difficult case um, with a service user that was hoarding and she tried this technique and it really worked. So she just went through the case study and told us what she did. So it's about sharing best practice, but also if someone's got a topic that they specialise in, because it's a generic team, so there's no specialisms, um, but people have obviously been in specialist teams. So it's just about sharing knowledge. So my practice educator said she wanted me to deliver one of these CPD trainings but before I finished placement and I just looked at her and I went I don't know enough about anything to deliver to people and I just can't think of what I'd do I saw someone on Twitter say that they had to do the same and they did their dissertation topic so just shared research and ideas about their dissertation topic which I haven't chosen yet but I feel like it might force me to choose my dissertation topic and then hopefully I'll have some knowledge about it to share it is quite a scary for delivering training because I just don't feel like, I feel like a bit of an imposter. I don't feel like <laughs> a lot of knowledge to deliver training to these professionals. But it's quite, I think it'll be a good experience once I've done it. Again, that's not a direct observation, just another task. Yeah, and I think like you said, now is a good time for us to sort of start experiencing these things and practising the skills that we're going to have to take out into practice. At least now we're being... we're in a safe position where we're supported by the team that we're in I don't know it just feels a lot a lot safer to do these things yeah and you've got the you're learning so you have that opportunity to go wrong and that's what you learn from whereas I think when you're in practice it's definitely but that's weird that we think like that because we should always be learning yeah oh yeah definitely I think it does feel like the opportunity to get that learning in but like yeah it should always be learning but I think do you get that time as much when you're in practice yeah. or my practice saying that to me she says all these cases like take this opportunity to really research into them and 
she she always makes me if I do any research she makes me tag it to their case profile on our system and she says it'll just help other professionals that don't have that time if I find some really interesting research that might help and it's quite sad isn't it that because that should not stop but I also appreciate what she's saying in the fact that you know time becomes precious and pressured when you've got higher caseloads but like you say, we should, in an ideal world and best practice world, continue that sort of researching and reflecting and things like that. Yeah. So I hate to cut you off there, Fee, but I think that's about all we've got time for today. I'm just going to play some clips from some students who have sent in their experiences of direct observations or multi-agency working, and they're going to share how they've been getting on Direct observations throughout placement can be really daunting. And I think that the lead up to the direct observation is actually worse than the direct observation itself. Direct observations, they might go to plan. They might go better than plan, but they might not go to plan. And I remember the night before my direct observation, my palms were sweaty and I was writing notes. I couldn't help but worry about if there was going to be a new situation. I was trying to think of every new possible situation that could arise through the night. What if I turn up and they're not home? What, everything was going through my mind. And then I turned to Twitter and somebody told me that you can prepare, but you can't over-prepare. And they had a point. When I arrived at the home visit, there was a minor situation. It was solvable myself and the service user, we managed to sit down, we spoke about it, made a phone call, it was sorted. I didn't plan for that, so my plan went out the window. So if I have any piece of advice, it is to plan and it is to somewhat prepare, but don't stress yourself out with planning and preparing. You can't over plan for a practical intervention you can take ideas with you you can consider what might happen you can plan what conversation needs to be mentioned and what needs to be spoken about and take those conversation ideas with you but if you don't get to them because something else has come up you need to put the service user first. If it's a situation they don't want to talk about or something else has happened that has taken centre stage, they're not going to be able to concentrate on anything else, which means your plan has gone out the window. So I would recommend to take some planning, consider conversation starters, consider topics, consider if you've got any questions and if you've got any questions to ask them at the end, for example, How do you see your future from the position you're in now? But I think if you overplan, it's not going to be natural. And you want it to be as natural as it can be. That is where the true work shows. And it really shows through the relationship that you have built with that service user. Because it's natural. It's like going to someone's house for a cup of tea and having a chat with them. Essentially, in some cases, that is what it is. The service user wants that to be natural. You want it to be natural. And when it is a natural environment, 
you'll probably get more learning from it and the service users will probably get more from it. So my piece of advice for this, it sounds silly, but it is to plan, but it's not to overplan. So consider topics, consider some conversation starters, but don't plan to the point where you are scripting the direct observation. Hi, um, my name's Evie and I'm an MA student on my first placement in youth funding. I think the thought of a direct observation is a lot worse than actually doing one. Planning is ultra important, not just because planning means that you are prepared, but also it really helps calm your nerves so it's good for your peace of mind. I mean, I think the best thing to do is focus on the work itself. So just do the best you can do for the individual family you're working with and then afterwards try not to worry if you receive criticism. It is quite likely that you will get criticism but hopefully it will be constructive and so something you can learn from. We aren't expected to know everything at this point but I guess the focus of placement is learning as much as possible and the best way to approach things like observations is just with an open mind and a willingness to learn what you can from the experience. Speaking to other professionals can sometimes initially feel um, a bit daunting, especially when people have been in those job roles for a number of years. For me, in my experience, other professionals tend to have quite a lot to say and they're quite keen to give their opinion. So it actually just might be a case of picking up the phone, making that call or sending an introductory email and usually once professionals have established who you are, they're quite happy to share um, their thoughts and views. Um, the roles that they're in as well are obviously caring and social roles. And so they're in it just the time to, to want to support service users in the best way possible. I think it's important to have a good ear and listen um, to what other professionals have to say. And in terms of questions, um, don't feel afraid to ask questions for things that they don't under that you don't understand. So particularly I find when talking to medical professionals, they can use acronyms or refer to um, certain conditions that I've never come across before and I don't understand. And it is okay just to ask them to break it down and say, well what are the symptoms? What are the causes? what might make this better for the person because also by breaking it down into that kind of everyday language it's a way that you can speak to families about those those medical aspects as well. So in my last placement I was in a looked after children's team and that was made up mostly of social workers. We had one assistant practitioner but everyone sort of had the same sort of training, same role, responsibility and we had our allocated children who we would be working with. However, now I'm in an integrated neighbourhood team in adult services, which is made up of social workers, occupational therapists, independence and wellbeing practitioners. So that's been quite eye-opening to see the different roles that people play in achieving the support needed for that person. We also have multi-agency meetings with GPs and care providers, so that's quite interesting to learn how our team works alongside other professionals. But I think it's really important to understand how all of the different roles interlink and how together we can achieve the goals set out in the support plans. 
I think it's really important to respect the roles and responsibility of each professional and understanding that they will have had very different training and very different ways of kind of looking at things but also being quite clear with what your role and responsibility is and when needed kind of being able to kind of say your point of view and from what you've learned as a social worker but I think ultimately it's always making sure that that person is at the centre of all the decisions especially when there's so many different professionals all working together I think it's quite easily that their voice might be lost so I think it's really good to be mindful of ensuring that their wishes are kept at the centre. I just want to share a little bit about my practice observations on my placement. I think that it's really it was really important for me to remember that whilst being observed was a, a crucial part of me passing my placement, it wasn't necessarily that important for the service users, for the individuals who I was planning that intervention with. And that was really, really important to keep, to bear in mind. So, for instance, I knew that on the day when I went round to the individual's house with the person who's observing me, it might no longer be appropriate for that individual to have me there that day. And I think this is particularly relevant for anyone who's going to be on a placement where they're working um, alongside people who have fluctuating mental health. So how do you get around this? So I made sure that I'd written a really detailed plan about what I hoped to achieve what I aimed to achieve and that I'd involved the service user in this planning process, then that, crucially, I'd shared this um, in advance of the observation. So my practice educating you exactly what it was that I hoped to happen in the, in the observation, but also that I'd really explained um, the context, some of the details about the individual that I was going to be doing this with, so that they, um, my practice educator was completely prepared that we might turn up, get to the door and it no longer be appropriate. And I was able to be really reassured by my practice educator that that could possibly happen and we'd work around it. And absolutely the most important thing is what is right for the service user that day, not what is right for, for my degree. So I found it really, really helpful to, to plan in detail, in advance, communicate that plan and have those really frank and open discussions in supervision beforehand. Get that reassurance so that I could continue to do the right thing on the day by the service user. I've just finished my first 70-day placement working with a charity that supports adults with physical and learning disabilities. And as part of my portfolio work, I had to undertake two direct observations of my practice. Now, unfortunately, due to a lot of COVID restrictions, the charity that I was working for weren't offering much face-to-face support for service users. So it ended up with both of my direct observations having to be done online via Zoom and Teams. When I thought about this initially, I was quite apprehensive and worried because I thought I wouldn't be able to connect on a personal level with the service user, creating that safe and friendly, relaxed environment, being in two completely different spaces would be difficult. But actually, I found, particularly after I'd done my first one, having done preparation work, talking with the service user beforehand about what the experience might be, actually when it came to it, I was able to ask 
the observer to do things like turn their camera and their microphone off. So actually, I was able to create quite a safe environment for the service user to talk openly because they felt as though they weren't being observed. Whereas in a face-to-face situation, you'd always have the observer present in the room and that might be quite off-putting for the service user. So actually, reflecting on my experience of my direct observations in this new COVID environment, actually, I think we can create safe and personal spaces for our service users online. Also, I think my take-home message from both of my direct observations and reflecting on them is that we don't need to be perfect. Actually, we should use these opportunities as learning opportunities to get constructive feedback from our observers to support us going forward in our practice. And now for our final part of today's episode, we would like to introduce Alistair, the sociable social worker, and Kaylee Evans, both of whom you can find on YouTube doing fantastic videos aimed to help social work students. So if you haven't already followed them, then please do. You won't regret it. Hi there, my name's Alistair Kennedy and I'm the sociable social worker. And I give practical advice on usually YouTube and professional social work magazine to social workers, social work students, and those wanting to foster and adopt. Tonight, I'm going to give you six top tips for surviving professional meetings. Top tip number one, always advocate for yourself. Don't feel you should know it all in your first placement. You won't. If you don't know something, ask. Top tip number two, never feel that you're in the way. Other social workers had to learn too. And I still ask questions, even though I'm 22 years qualified. And even today, I asked a group of social work commissioners about their secure email systems, as I did not know. Top tip number three. If you don't know all the acronyms, and let's face it, we're social workers, we love an acronym. And you get people who say things like, well, you just use the APP or the BPI or a section 116S. I made all that up, by the way. So always ask what they're on about. And if you work in childcare, make sure people don't use the words like lack and respite. And I suggest you read the TACT Foster Carers Report on language social workers use written by Sarah Ortiz, who's a friend of mine, and she's very, very good at what she does. Top tip number four, never be late on Zoom or Teams. My time is as precious as yours. Also, do your research, know who's on the call and look at the meeting list beforehand. I do that all the time. Currently, I've got 150 people in a regional adoption project that I'm managing and setting up. I don't know everyone and some people, let's face it, are pretty forgettable or they don't even put their video on. So make sure you give yourself a refresher before you go into the meeting. Top tip number five, remember why you became a social worker and stay true to your values. Don't listen to the mood hoovers, the negative social work lifers, and be there for your clients. Change is possible. Top tip number six, innovate to help advocate. If you end up working in any social work sector, innovation is quite slow. As an interim, I am always amazed by how new social workers come up with great ideas in meetings to help advocate for children, young people and families. 
Don't be shy. Share your innovations. So there you go. If you like my top tips, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Sociable Social Worker, where I have over 30 videos to help you, for example, pass your placement, write an essay, and to pass in a job interview. Drop them a like, and thanks for your time. Hello everyone, I'm really pleased to have been asked to contribute to this podcast. I'm Kayla Rose Evans, I have a YouTube channel and that's how the group found me I think, and via Twitter. Anyway, some advice about students talking to other professionals in meetings. So I've spent the past few years working closely with the NHS and I have learned so much and I think it's really beneficial. My um, tips of working effectively together is to understand that you are going to have differences in opinion at times because you are you do have different priorities. Sometimes you can find that medical professionals are thinking about the expertise that they have within the medical model and things like that and sometimes there can be emphasis on keeping people safe and physical well-being whereas sometimes we're coming in with seeing the person as the expert and then trying to support them to achieve the things that they want and thinking about emotional well-being as well and sometimes there can be clashes there but I think the most important thing you can do to manage that is to really know what is important to that person before you go into the meeting because that can help you to really know what it is that you're saying and feel confident because your role is really to advocate for that person and it's always good when you have the individual in the room with you and maybe family members but sometimes having a lot of people involved can sometimes like take away from that person and what they want to say so uh, being confident in what you're doing involves really knowing the person so maybe doing your assessment beforehand or having a meeting with the person before you go in and then you know what you're looking for because I found that there's been a lot of resources from other professionals and if you can work effectively with them you're really helping that person to access the resources that they need that will help them it's kind of giving people the best chance at accessing the support as well I think if you are experiencing any conflict I think that can be quite daunting as a newly qualified social worker or a student on placement and something that I learned over time was not to feel you have to respond immediately with all of the answers gather the information from the other professionals within the meeting and then sometimes you can say that you need to discuss with other members and reflect on it and discuss with your team before giving an answer. Sometimes you can do that to give yourself more time or always take a breath. I think that's important because you can get really... It, it can be nerve-wracking and it can feel personal at times, but it isn't. And I think the thing is you have to remember that Sometimes when we're dealing with people that, who are in crisis or high stress situations, it can cause emotion even in the professionals involved. And something that's really helped me is gaining a real understanding of the law, because then you can just sort of say it in a, a less emotional way that you are acting under this law and you can't ignore it. And, and this is what you've got to do. And I think that that definitely helps. And, and just know that you're not on your own. So make sure you take time to reflect and, and speak to other colleagues that you have who might be going through the same things. So yeah, thank you. And I look forward to listening to this.
Well, that wraps up today's episode of our placement podcast here at the Student Social Work Hub. We hope you enjoyed hearing our thoughts and feelings about our placements. If you've got any questions or you want to ask us or maybe you want to share anything with us, just get in touch. We'll be looking to have some guest students on the future to talk about their own experiences and enlighten us on other types of placement. You can find us on Twitter under the handle of at SWBohemians or our website is www.socialworkstudent.com Alternatively, we're also on Instagram and Facebook if you want to find us there as well. Thanks for joining us today and we look forward to sharing our journey with you. See you next week.